Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, January 17th, we are studying Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 40. Christ the Savior is born, but now what? How will the Savior go about his work of salvation? St. Luke records the beginning of our Lord's saving acts for his people as he tells us of Jesus' circumcision, his naming, and his presentation at the temple. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Jacob Dandy. Pastor Dandy serves at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Terrabella, California. Pastor Dandy, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. Let's get started by talking about some context, Pastor Dandy. Yesterday's text, or Monday, excuse me, Friday's text was the the circ or the name. Oh man, I can't talk today. <laughs> the text on Friday was the birth of Jesus. So, what do we need to know about that context? Anything from Luke chapter one that'll help us with the text we've got for today? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know. The Luke 2, 1 through 20, that's that's the real familiar part of Luke 2. That's where you have uh, uh, the taxation, registration from Caesar Augustus, Mary and Joseph going down and having the Holy Family's journey down to Bethlehem, Jesus being born in the manger, the shepherds, the angels, uh, Gloria and Excelsis, all those those beautiful things. And that's that's really um, uh, a lot of what we, we hear on Christmas Eve, especially that Christmas Eve. Uh, uh, evening service that many of us will have uh, and have celebrated. Um, and so we, we remember that with joy, but now that the, the light has dawned, the, the day spring from on high, that, that new sunrise has come, Christ has come to be the life of the world, the word has been made flesh and has made its dwelling among us. Now we, we see the rubber kind of hit the road with the life of Jesus, uh, with who uh, Jesus is going to be, and and we'll see that, and we see that today in his most earliest days of infancy, um, as Christ is born to uh, take our place, to be our substitute, to live under the law, and to fulfill the law perfectly for us. All right, so we're going to jump right into the text, and we're going to start with just verse 21 of Luke chapter 2. Luke writes, and at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now that's Luke 2, verse 21. It's only one verse, but if you've ever if you've ever gone to a church service on January 1st, which is the eighth day of Christmas, and is the day for the name and circumcision of Jesus, that one verse is the entirety of the gospel reading. So I think it, it deserves its due today here, Pastor Dandy. Help us out with this text. What is the significance of the naming and the circumcision of Jesus on the eighth day? Yeah, um, actually, I, I love this text. Um, I actually preached on this text January 1st years ago when my eldest son was baptized. Uh, uh, and so um, it, it's it's a huge 
wonderful text. It's a blessing to, to think about it. Uh, but now we see, you know, Mary keeping these things, pondering in her heart. And then now we see Jesus what, what's he to do? Um, what's, what's Jesus come into the creation to accomplish for us? Uh, and maybe one of the things that helps us think about that would be uh, Galatians uh, chapter four. It says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption of son, as sons. And so here we see God sent forth his son to be born. We've got that, verses 1 through 20, uh, but then also born under the law, right? And so when we think about the law in terms of, of scriptures, uh, we think about mainly the, the law of Moses and the, the law of the people of God, the, the Israelite law. You have the the, the moral law and the Ten Commandments, Christ was under that. But then also you have the civil and ceremonial law of God's people that Christ was born under too. And the big mark of that lawful covenant between God and his people uh, was circumcision. Uh, uh, this goes all the way back to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 17. And in Genesis 17, God makes his covenant with Abraham. He says, Abraham, well, at the time he was Abram. Uh, uh, and then God says, no longer will you be called Abram. You will be called Abraham because you will be the father of all, right? You'll be the father of many. Uh, and uh, he starts talking about how Abraham is going to have a son and that he's going to have many descendants. And from those many descendants would come a blessing for all the world. And so we have this covenant of circumcision being made with Abraham. Uh, and it, it really is meant to symbolize two things. First, it symbolizes a need, right? Um, uh, circumcision was a, a mark that a uh, a young Jewish man would receive on his genitalia, on his male reproductive organ. Uh, it would be the removal of uh, the foreskin of that, uh, that organ in the body um, as a mark of God's covenant. And it would be a mark of participation in life in God's kingdom uh, and under God's promises and under God's care. And so it first demonstrated to the people of God a need. Um, uh, Martin Luther talks about this a little bit, that um, it's a reminder of what we inherit from our fathers, what we inherit um, uh, uh, from as the progeny from our fathers who have come before us. Namely, Martin Luther, he says it's, it's a mark that, you know, we all pass down our original sin, right? Uh, that we pass down this, this uh, sinful condition that we've inherited from our fathers and that we have inherited from all the way back to Adam. But then also it's a mark of God's promise because God promised Abraham that he would have a son. And from that son would come a nation of descendants. And from that nation of descendants would become a blessing for all creation, namely the Messiah, uh, a savior for the entire world. And so Abraham uh, uh, was circumcised, Isaac was circumcised, Jacob and Esau, all the way down, Israel and all of his sons uh, bore this mark of the covenant as a sign that they, they bore in their lineage 
the savior of the world. They bore in their lineage the promised seed that would be born of a woman who would come to be our savior. And so circumcision was uh, a very important aspect to the people of Israel um, uh, as a mark of their peculiarity to God, um, that, that they had a need from God and they had a promise from God um, that he would send his savior into the world. Uh, as we think about that, we, we want to think about now Jesus and, and maybe that the important reminder that Christ is born under this law, but Christ does not bear original sin from Adam. Remember, we confess in the creed that, that Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit, that Jesus um, uh, is not uh, conceived and born in a natural way. He doesn't inherit sin from Joseph. Uh, uh, he doesn't inherit sin from a earthly father because he is born of his heavenly father by the work of the spirit of God. And so we see kind of something very interesting. We have this child who bears no original sin entering into this covenant of circumcision uh, and placing himself under the law. And we see him doing that as a fulfillment of the law. We see him doing that as a fulfillment on the, uh, the completion of the promise that God makes to Abraham. So, Pastor Dandy, when it comes to Jesus' circumcision, and I know we didn't talk about this ahead of time, but this is a question that I've been asked, and I maybe was a little bit surprised to be asked this on, on multiple, on more than one occasion. So this is not, it's not a unique question among Christians. I've, I've had Christians ask me, Pastor, do, do our Christian boys need to be circumcised today? What, what does Jesus' circumcision, as it's recorded in Luke chapter 2, what does that have to say to that question? Um, well, I, yeah, I would say that um, it actually fulfills—Jesus' circumcision is a fulfillment of that covenant, um, uh, and that we are now living under a new covenant, right? We live under a, a new promise from God, um, namely that Christ has fulfilled and borne the law. Like we read from Galatians a minute ago, he redeems those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. He, he, he redeems us from the tyranny of the law, uh, and I think Martin Luther puts it this way, um, uh, uh, in his great Galatians commentary, Martin Luther uh, uh, kind of frames our relationship to the law like this. And he says that the law is no longer our master. Rather, it's been made into our servant, um, uh, that we no longer are bound to fulfill the law uh, in the same way because we have the righteousness from faith. We have the righteousness of Christ in the gospel. And so Christ redeems us from the law and he gives us adoption as sons, namely, uh, and we live under that adoption and we are brought into this body of Christ and this union of Christ. We are made sons of God in God's new covenant, and that is baptism. 
um, uh, that we are no longer looking forward to a savior who would be born from the people of Israel, but we, we now live under the reality that that savior has been born and that he has indeed redeemed us. Um, that he has indeed fulfilled the law on our behalf. He has done the holy work uh, of the Messiah, the holy work of the Savior, by coming to be and do um, all things perfectly uh, for us, that we might receive the forgiveness of sins. Um, and, and, you know, what's, what's really interesting here as we think about that, um, I don't know, do you remember at the seminary, uh, the baptismal font in the in the big chapel there. I do, I do. It's at the it's in the very back of the church, as as most people would count the back. Yeah, the the narthex, right? right? Um, yeah. Um, do you remember how many sides it had on it? Well, I'm pretty sure it's eight. Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> Good, I got it right. Yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. It was eight sides, right? Um, uh, and. And maybe this helps us to, to maybe frame um, how we would think about circumcision uh, nowadays under the new covenant, right? Um, uh, in the Old Testament, the young boys were circumcised on the eighth day, and, and there's certainly maybe some physiological reasons for that. Um, uh, when babies are born now, the first thing the nurse will do um, moments after being born is give them a shot of vitamin K so that their blood can coagulate and stuff like that. Um, uh, but also we, we see that that eighth day um, also has a good signal uh, or symbolic significance as well, um, that as God created the world in seven days, now we are in anticipation of the eighth day, the day of the new creation. Um, Martin Luther writes about this. He says this. He says, seven days signify this time of this world until the very last day, because the present time is described by weeks and uh, of days and months. But the eighth day is the last day after the present time when weeks, months, and years will cease, and there will be one eternal day. On that day, circumcision is fulfilled when not only the soul, but also the body redeemed from sin and death and all impurity shine like the sun. Right. Uh, and so we, we have this day and this new day dawns in Christ. This eighth day of new creation dawns in Christ. And so we see that at, at seminary, the baptismal font had the eight sides because now when we're baptized, we enter into that eighth day of creation. When we're baptized, we enter into this new day that dawns in Christ. We enter into eternal life, the everlasting life that we have in his name. We're no longer com completely and eternally bound um, by this world that is decaying because of sin, but we are redeemed from sin. We are made into members of the body of Christ. Um, uh, we are made into participants of the resurrection of eternal life by faith, and we live under that reality. So what I would say is don't bring your eight-day-year-old boys to church uh, to be circumcised. Bring your eight-day-year-old boys to church and your eight-day-year-old girls to church, or even if they're one or two days old, I, I'm not going to uh, hesitate a second. Bring those children to church to be baptized, um, uh, because that's where we, we, we now live, and that's the covenant and the promise that we now live under. Yeah, that, that's fantastic, Pastor Dandy. Uh, yeah, bring bring your kids to be baptized and and enter into 
Christ, be connected to him in this beautiful union that he gives. And man, I tell you, I'd, I kind of had forgotten, Pastor Danny, just how much is in this one verse. But now that we're talking about it, I, I'm not sure if you've, if you've mentioned this yet, but part of the significance, in addition to Jesus being the one to fulfill the law for us completely, you know, doing going through circumcision in our place, it also entails the shedding of blood. And the fact that we see Jesus yeah. shedding his blood already as an eight-day-old old infant is also significant. Yeah, he, he's already bearing our sin. He's already, um, you know, just like we talk about in the second article of the creed, uh, he redeems us not with gold or silver, but with his precious blood. Right. Um, and here it is shed for us, even uh, as an infant, uh, our Lord sheds his blood for us uh, in that care and in that love that he bears for us. Um, I, it's 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 astounding. It's wonderful. Right. And I don't think we've even talked about his name yet, have we? That's the other part of no. his circumcision. So he's he's been circumcised, and then at the same time, he's named Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and that, too, is a part of the significance of this eighth day. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, on the eighth day, typically, um, uh, at, at their circumcision, that would be the day that young boys received their name, right? Um, and we, we know that the name Jesus bears great significance for Mary and Joseph. Um, uh, the angel, uh, when, she, uh, when he announced to Mary um, that she would bear a son, he said, you shall call his name Jesus. Uh, also, the same angel spoke to Joseph and said, uh, you shall call him Jesus because he will save people from their sins. And that's what Jesus means. It means savior. It means quite literally the Lord saves. Um, and and so here, what do we have? We have at the same moment that, that Christ is um, already enacting and, and starting to bear our sin, as we have Christ bearing the weight and responsibility of bearing the law, we see that he's assigned and given this name of Savior, um, uh, this, this child Jesus who, who was born under the law, though having no sin, becomes sin for us, and he bears our sin. He sheds his blood. He is our Savior, right? Um, and so we see this, this name assigned to Jesus is um, uh, uh, really descriptive of what he's doing at the day and in the moment of his circumcision and for every moment of his incarnate life. Um, even now, as he stands glorified before the Father in heaven. So all of that is packed into that one verse, Luke 2, verse 21, the naming and circumcision of our Lord. It happens on the eighth day. And then Luke continues his narrative. So we're going we're gonna to pick up—you We, know, Pastor Danny, as we were talking, if we had wanted, we really could have kept talking about that, that whole matter there. But we're going to move on. So, okay. so, so Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 22, moving now to what's often referred to as both the presentation of our Lord and also the purification of Mary. So that's Luke 2, beginning at verse 22, going through verse 40. The text reads, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
and he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to, his, said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband for seven years from when, he, from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him, speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. That's the rest of our text for today. That's Luke 2, verses 22 to 40. So, Pastor Dandy, we've got about six minutes here before the break. Just help us to get started with the setting the scene. We're, we're talking about the purification according to the law of Moses. That's for Mary. And then we've got Jesus going to Jerusalem to be presented to the Lord. Uh, what? Well, what's the time frame that we're talking about here? How, we've fast-forwarded a little bit in the narrative. And then what's the Old Testament background for this? Um, yeah, yeah. So um, this would be now 40 days um, after the birth of Jesus. Mary uh, would be, uh, Mary and Joseph would be bringing Jesus to the temple, uh, both so that Mary could undergo purification, um, which would just be a ritualistic washing, right? Um, this, this, and uh, this would be more about ceremonial cleanliness than anything. Any woman who who gave birth would have to go through uh, this type of washing. Um, in order to, to continue on in this participation in the life of the temple. Uh, and that goes all the way back to Leviticus chapter 12, uh, where we see uh, God kind of giving commands on washing purity and all of these things. Um, but then we also have uh, Jesus being brought to the temple uh, in accord with Exodus chapter 13. Uh, and, and this is um, uh, related to the Passover. Right. We remember in uh, the land of Egypt, as God's people were uh, in bondage, God finally sends the final plague upon the Egyptians, which is the death of their firstborn. Um, but then we know that as the firstborn are, are killed in the land of Egypt, of all the Egyptians, of all the Israelites, the firstborn in all the households of the Israelites are saved because they mark their households with the blood of a lamb. Uh, their doorposts are marked, um, and so the angel skips over those homes, uh, um, and we, we uh, of course, have lots of significance attached to that in terms of our theology of the Lord's Supper, how we think about uh, Christ shedding his blood for us. Now, we are marked by the blood of the Lamb of God in our baptism and as we participate in the life of the church, but God says, uh, according to this, he says, uh, consecrate to me, and this is Exodus chapter 13, consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and beast, is mine. 
all right? Uh, and this is to be uh, a reminder of the firstborn, uh, firstborn children in the land of Egypt um, that are, are uh, slain um, and a mark and a reminder that all of these firstborn belong to God. But then also then, uh, it's it's a deeper significance now with Christ, um, as Christ uh, is the firstborn child of Mary, but then also um, that he is the um, only and eternal begotten son of the father. Um, he, he already belongs and is holy and particular to the father, but now what's he doing? Uh, he is fulfilling the law. Uh, he's fulfilling the law uh, of, of Moses. He's fulfilling the law of the Old Testament by um, being redeemed. Uh, and what parents would have to do now that the firstborn was consecrated to the Lord, uh, that they belong to me, parents would come and redeem their firstborn child from God. Uh, they would uh, go to the temple uh, and they would uh, uh, participate in a sacrifice uh, um, and for poorer families, it would be a sacrifice of two turtle doves or pigeons, um, something a, a fairly uh, cheap, affordable um, uh, uh, sacrifice for, for people, which is significant because uh, the wealthier would probably have to bring an ox or a bull or something. Uh, Christ is redeemed for uh, our, or presented before the Lord um, uh, and redeemed from the Lord with Fertile dumb, uh, uh, showing that Christ is is not born uh, with earthly riches and earthly power, but he's born in humility. He's born in poverty, but he's also born uh, uh, glorified and blessed by his Father in his humility, uh, as he goes to the temple uh, to to once again continue to fulfill the law. And so we, we see the Holy Family uh, living in faithfulness to the law of God, and we see Christ living in perfect fulfillment of the law, uh, as he is really the firstborn who must die to free his people. We had a bunch of sinful firstborns in uh, Egypt that died to bring the people of God freedom, but now we have the sinless firstborn of all creation, the sinless, eternally begotten Son of God. Um, now coming to die to free all creation and all heaven and earth from the bondage of sin, uh, all the world from bondage of sin. Now that That is the one who has come to his temple on this 40th day of his life to be presented, and more is going to happen. We're going to look at that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're looking at Luke chapter 2 with Pastor Jacob Dandy. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, January 17th. We're studying Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 40 with Pastor Jacob Dandy. He serves at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Terrabella, California. 
Pastor Dandy, prior to the break, we're looking at the very first part of Jesus' presentation in the temple. And before we move on to Simeon, who really steals the show for a while, just tell us about the significance of the fact that Jesus has come to the temple. Why is that an important moment? Yeah, well, and, you know, we, we remember that the, the tabernacle and the temple of the Old Testament was the the uh, um, dwelling place of the Lord where he was available for his people, right? He, he was available in grace, um, that the, the people of God uh, went to go worship before the Lord, uh, because that's where the Lord had promised uh to be for them in a maybe symbolic sacramental way uh, for his people in, in the presence of that building. Uh, but now what, what do we see? Um, and we'll, we'll you know, recall the, the reading for, for Christmas Day, uh, that the Lord is made flesh and makes his tabernacle among us. Now that the Lord has a, a greater and new temple, and that is the, the temple of his incarnate body. Right. Um, and so Christ has come uh, uh, to to be presented before the Lord as the Lord, um, uh, that he is the temple of the Lord, that little baby um, uh, brought to the temple, that little baby who has been circumcised, that little baby who has um, sacrifices offered on his behalf, um, uh, that same little baby. Um, is the Lord enfleshed, and that is the temple of the Lord right there um, uh, in the arms of Mary, um, soon to be in the arms of Simeon. Yeah, so Simeon shows up in verse 25. Again, Luke tells us the purpose for the Holy Family going in verses 22 through 24. And when you look at the text, he does come back to that by verse 39, but everything mm -hmm. in between are these two, two saints who recognize what's happening here, and I mean, really— I don't know, steal the show is the right word, but they, they take center stage to proclaim to us the importance of this little baby. So start with Simeon. Tell us a little bit about what the text reveals who this man is. Yeah, um, and so Simeon is uh, a Christian, right? Uh, he's a person who had faith in the coming uh, Messiah, and he was anxiously awaiting the re arrival of that Messiah. Um, and it says here that uh, he was... Um, uh, 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 in Jerusalem, and that he was righteous and devout. And as we think about maybe the, the righteousness of Simeon, uh, well, uh, we might want to think about uh, maybe the same as Zechariah and Elizabeth. They, they were called righteous folks by God. Or even uh, we have Abraham, um, who is counted righteous by God. Well, what, what counts Simeon as a righteous and devout person? Well, it's because he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's looking for that righteous seed that, that would be born of a woman. He's, he's waiting for that Messiah, the Lord's anointed, who would be born to deliver the people of Israel. And it says here that the Holy Spirit was upon him, uh, that the Holy Spirit was granting him and blessing him with faith in the midst of all this, and that it had been revealed to him that he would not see death before the Lord's Christ. Uh, and so he will seek the Lord's Christ. He will see the Lord's anointed one come into the creation um, before he dies. And so there he comes into the temple. And by the power of the spirit of God, it's revealed to him that this child, Jesus, is his savior. Um, uh, this child, Jesus, um, is the savior of the world. And and what does Simeon do? He he rejoices. Right. Uh, and that's a. Um, 
that's a, a magnificent and 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 beautiful thing um that that really that really is maybe symbolic of the entire faith of the christian church that we 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 hold to this 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 beautiful um uh faith uh that god comes in humility for us right uh that that simeon takes this baby and by faith in what had been revealed to him by the spirit of god um, uh, he accepts and rejoices that this is the Son of God come to save him. Uh, it, it's kind of like something being gift wrapped in humility, uh, but by faith he acknowledges that it is is something even greater than what it seems. He he lifts this baby up as his salvation, uh, knowing that this child is his Lord. So he in verse twenty eight he actually that's where he does he takes the child in his arms he takes Jesus in his arms he blesses God and said and of course I mean this I think we should well I, I should say this is now the fourth of the four canticles in Luke chapter one and two we met Mary with the Magnificat we had Zechariah with his Benedictus the angels just sang the Gloria in the previous text and now here is Simeon singing the nunc dimittis which in in Latin means now dismiss so the the first words in Latin of this song tell us about Simeon's song both what he actually says what that means and also how it gets used within the life of the church still today oh yeah it's i if there's one thing that um uh one one canticle in the scriptures that um maybe uh stands out in our our liturgical tradition it, it would be this one um uh and just maybe to look at what simeon's saying here and then and talking about and then talk about where we apply it but um uh he says no lord now let your servant depart in peace according to your word um you know what, what is simeon essentially saying here he's saying I can die happy, right? Because your word has been fulfilled. Um, uh, I can die happy because you have kept your promise to me, O Lord, because my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, that my savior is here. I've seen Christ. Um, you know, uh, and maybe this echoes a little bit of what Jesus says when he's he's talking about uh, the resurrection of the body um, uh, and the eternal life with the Sadducees. Uh, he said, what does he say? Or what does he say about Abraham? He said, Abraham longed to see my day and he rejoiced to see it. Right. Um, that Abraham uh, back then, uh, who was promised a righteous seed. Right. Um, he rejoices at the coming of the Savior. And we see that echoed and mirrored and lived out in God's servant, Simeon. He says, I finally have seen my Savior. I can die happy. Salvation has been revealed. And it's not just revealed to me, but it's revealed to all the nations of the world. Um, I think it's a, it's a major point here that um, uh, he refers to Jesus as a light for revelation to the Gentiles or to the nations, all of those who are outside of Israel, um, uh, that, that this, this time period of uh, the exclusion of the nations or this time period of the um, uh, ceremonial and civil law of the people of God now is coming to an end because now is the time of God's grace in Christ. Um, and this will be a glory to the people of Israel. This will be glory to God's eternal church. This will be glory because this is our light. This is our salvation. Um, 
And so the very beautiful words spoken in great faith, um, demonstrating that, that Simeon acknowledged who Jesus is rightly, uh, that Jesus is his savior. He is the light of God's salvation, and he has seen him with his own eyes. He has touched him with his own hands. Um, and so that certainly is a blessing that Simeon has, but it's also a blessing that we have and that we express um, in the life of uh, our churches, especially very liturgically. Um, uh, we know uh, this this nuke committee pops up um, uh, and it probably pops up more than this, but the three that I recognize it the most in uh, first would be in the, the common service, right? Um, uh, divine service after we have uh, had the distribution of the Lord's Supper after um, God's faithful have gathered around the altar um, to receive the body and blood of Christ, to receive forgiveness from the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and to, to behold Christ in this sacrament um, as we eat and drink uh, for our life and our salvation. What do we do? We sing the nuke committee. We say, Lord, let your servant depart in peace according to your word. You have fulfilled what you have promised. We have seen your salvation because Christ has died for us. As long as we eat this dry bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until his coming. Jesus has died for me. I have beheld and received the gift and promise of Jesus, that same incarnate body that Simeon held, uh, we beheld today, and we have eaten and drink and drank for our life and our salvation. Uh, the next time that we um, will sing or speak the Nuke Dimitri, um, would be uh, in the pastoral agenda, at least for us, would be in the commendation of the dying. Um, as we uh, sit by somebody's bedside, um, as, their, as their life is ending, as they're dying, uh, we will often say these words. Um, I actually had the privilege about two weeks ago to sit by a, a faithful 100-year-old member of my congregation uh, with his with his daughter and son-in-law, and we we sang the nuke committee in the same form that it was always in, uh, that he sang in the TLH way back when, um, uh, every Sunday as he received the Lord's Supper, saying, depart in peace according to the word, because he had seen the salvation of God, he had heard the gospel, he had partaken of the gifts of Christ all of his life, and now he was preparing to behold Christ's incarnate body with his very eyes. Um, and then the final time that we will sing the Nuke Committee, and, it, it, and like I said, it probably pops up more than this. I'm, I, you know, I probably should have dug more deeply in preparing for this, but it's at the funeral service um, uh, where uh, we will recite um, uh, John chapter 11, where Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Uh, and then we'll sing the Nuke Committee. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. Uh, that we we see that the faithful Christian who has departed before us, that faithful Christian who we're preparing to uh, uh, commit to the earth, uh, awaiting the day of the resurrection, has seen the Lord's salvation. That the light of God's uh, has the light of God's love, the light of the promise of the gospel, has shone upon that person, and that their life uh, was blessed by Christ because they know and see their salvation uh, even now in heaven. And so the it's it's such a beautiful canticle um, uh, that we have in Luke. We have such beautiful songs that we have in Luke chapters one and two that fill the worship of the church. 
Uh, but it's very appropriate that we sing this at the end of our life and we sing this uh, at the end of our service after partaking the body and blood of Jesus. Um, uh, Simeon's words uh, continue to bless us as they are on the lips of the people of God. The other place that I I think it comes up in the life of the church is in the service of Compline, the the night or the the service right before you go to bed. This is oh, yeah. is indicated as a canticle that you can sing right before you go to bed, which fits in very nicely with you know in, in the life of the Christian there as well. That every night, yeah. you know, I go to I go to sleep in the peace of my baptism, knowing that mm-hmm. if I don't wake up in the middle of the night, I will I will be awake with with Christ forever. And so, I mean, there's another yeah. place that it shows up in the life of the church. I think it's in Vespers too, but I, I forgot about that one too. But uh, um, but uh, these these times where it definitely pops up, yeah, that we are we are blessed because we as the people of God have seen Jesus. We've seen Jesus in His Word and sacraments, uh, and by faith we can we can trust and know that 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 Christ has been present for us through His incarnate work, uh, and we can rejoice knowing that uh, that that light uh, that of joy and salvation and revelation to the Gentiles has shown on us. And that's a, that's a wonderful thing. Now, after Simeon finishes his song, Mary and Joseph are marveling at what Simeon has said. And then Simeon blesses them and speaks very specifically some things to his mother, Mary, Jesus' mother, Mary. What does mm-hmm. Simeon have to say to her? Yeah. So he, he has um, more words to say. He says, um, uh, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel for a sign that is opposed. And then he says to Mary, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And so uh, here, you know, uh, he's he's really kind of outlining the the ministry of Christ, um, you know, here in this this part of the, the gospel, of Luke, we're, we're in this time before Christ has really entered his ministry, all that time before his baptism, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we see as Jesus is baptized by John, then he really enters into his, his preaching and miracles um, as he declares himself to be the Savior, the Son of God. But uh, Simeon starts to really prophetically describe what's going to go on. He says that that Christ is for the rise and fall of many, that many who are exalted among the people uh, will fall and perish because they won't believe that this child is their savior. While many who are the least among the people of Israel, the least among uh, uh, those faithful of God will rise up and be saved because they will acknowledge him. To be their savior. We, we, we look at maybe some of the people who denet, uh, rejected or were opponents of Christ. They, they were the ones who were elevated as teachers of Israel. Um, they were the ones who were um, elevated uh, uh, amongst the priesthood, amongst the um, highly regarded um, and maybe quote unquote holy people of the people of Israel. And who does Christ call? Well, he calls the, the fishermen. Uh, he calls the poor. He calls the the ones who wouldn't be regarded as highly educated or trained or set above the people of God, and he lifts them up in his kingdom. Right? Uh, he he's he's continually saying the um, the humble will be exalted and the exalted will be humbled. The first will be last and the last will be first. Uh, and and how are these people exalted? 
Well, they acknowledge Christ. They acknowledge him to be the son of God. They acknowledge him uh, to be the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, the Christ to whom we shall go because he has the eternal life, uh, words of eternal life. And so that Christ, um, Simeon goes on to say that Christ will be a sign that is opposed, that the, the, the bulk of the people will oppose him, that they will, there will be an opposition to the people of God uh, by the people of God to the Son of God, um, and we see that um, uh, mainly and namely in Christ's passion, um, in the plots to destroy and to kill Christ, in his in his uh, arrest, in his trial, in his in his crucifixion, in his burial. Um, we see that that Christ is opposed um, to uh, the the work. Our the people are opposed to the work and the salvis salvific love and work of Christ as he comes for us. And then it also then says that a sword will pierce through Mary Mary's heart also. All right. Um, our Mary's own soul also. Uh, that, that Christ will be opposed. He will be pierced for our transgressions, but so will Mary. And, and he, he's doing this in relation to Mary sitting at the foot of the cross uh, as, as Christ is crucified. Remember that, that episode between uh, Jesus, Mary, and John as Jesus is dying. Um, uh, he sees that mom is taken care of. He says, uh, uh, son, behold your mother, woman, uh, behold your son. Uh, and from that day forth, John takes Mary into his own household, uh, that that she will see her her child, that she bears um, that child that she loves um, crucified for her, uh, and that that will pierce her um, uh, in the soul. Uh, but it will also be her joy. Uh, it'll be her life and her light and her salvation. But finally, Simeon says, through this, hearts will be exposed. Uh, they will show that those who are darkened by unbelief uh, live in their unbelief, but those who are enlightened in faith that 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 acknowledge Jesus to be the Christ, well, they will be saved. Um, and that we will see uh, who are the people of God. Well, the people of God are those who uh, confess and live under and have faith in Jesus to be the Christ. Now, Simeon then is is finished, but then another person comes on the scene, another Christian, another saint. Her name is Anna. She's a prophetess. What does Luke tell us about her? What does she do when she sees Jesus? Yeah, yeah, she, and Anna really has, uh, you know, if you if you want to think of maybe a woman uh, with a very pious life, um, you, you have Anna, right? Uh, her, her, her life is in the temple of the Lord. Uh, she's she's widowed at a, a young age, right? Um, and so, you know, if you kind of maybe operate on the assumption that she was married um, maybe at the age of 15, which wouldn't have been uncommon back in those days. Um, uh, and then uh, after seven years being married to her husband is a widow. Um, uh, and then is widowed for the rest of her years, she spends all that time piously praying and worshiping the Lord in his temple. Uh, she's given this title of prophetess, and, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of discussion about what that means. Um, uh, I would probably say that she probably didn't have the um, uh, preaching office, right? I don't think this is a passage where it says women should be ordained or anything like that, but it does mean that she has the blessing of the Spirit of God. 
um, uh, could also mean that her, her husband was a prophet. But either way, we see that the, the Holy Spirit is at work in this woman uh, so that she's recognized, uh, that she recognizes and proclaims Christ to be her Savior. Um, uh, and in that way, Simeon is likewise a, a, a prophet of the Lord because he declared Christ uh, as the Savior. And, and I think we need to just pause and understand how significant that is. Because you have to imagine uh, that all the people of Israel, all the all the 40-day-year-old babies being brought in and out, all the firstborn sons, there were probably a handful of babies every day being brought to the temple, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and we can't imagine that, you know, Jesus looked any different or sounded any different than the rest of the babies in the temple. But they acknowledged this baby to be their savior, right? It's, it's kind of like being in the hospital or in the mater- or, um, uh, maternity ward at the hospital. You have all these, these babies who are just born, right? Um, and there, there's always going to be a handful of babies in the hospital or, and, uh, or they call them birthing centers now, right? Um, there will always be a handful of babies there. Um, to me, the, the baby that's always important in the birthing center would be mine, right? Um, but here, Simeon and Anna leap up and come running to this one uh, who is the Savior. She's, she's living in anticipation of the coming and consolation of Israel, she's, and she finally sees that Savior come. He arrives, and she praises God and, and tells everyone, uh, hey, look, um, uh, uh, here he is. She began to give thanks to God and to speak of Jesus to all who were there. Uh, and who are waiting for the redemption of Israel, right? And that's that's the key part there. She's proclaiming Christ to be the redeemer. She's proclaiming Christ to be the one who would rescue and redeem uh, all of Israel and all of the world from its sins, right? And once again, we we go back and we look at the second article of the creed, uh, which is all about you know our redemption. We believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord who has purchased and won us, not with gold or silver, uh, but with his innocent blood and his uh, with his precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. He's won us from sin, death and the power of the devil. And so Anna is significant here because she sees by faith that this child is her savior and she proclaims, there's my redeemer. There's your redeemer. Um, uh, and we have that that wonderful image of the Savior being born, the Savior coming into the temple, the temple of God entering the temple of God, standing before the people. And there's Anna saying, look, he's finally here. Everybody see him, know him, believe in him. Uh, that is the Savior. That is the Christ. Mm. And then the text concludes that they finished everything. So there's, I mean, there's the return back to why they came to the temple in the first place to do the presentation of Jesus and the purification of Mary. They did that. And then Luke tells us they go back to raise Jesus in the town of Nazareth and Jesus grows and becomes strong, filled with wisdom. We got about four minutes left on the morning, Pastor Danny, for any comments on those two verses and to help us wrap this text up and see the good news from it that Jesus Christ is our Savior. Yeah. Um, well, that. That, you know, Jesus 
Jesus um, is is brought and raised by Mary and Joseph. That that uh, well, and we'll see in the following verses here. Jesus is continually brought to the temple by Mary and Joseph. That that Jesus continues on. Uh, that his ministry doesn't just stop here with Simeon and Anna, but that that he grows in wisdom. He grows in stature according to um, his his new humanity here, uh, and that that he will continue um, uh, to to do so even until he goes to the cross, that uh, that he doesn't just stop there. Uh, we see that Jesus is brought to Galilee of Nazareth. Luke doesn't include um, uh, the, the holy innocence or the flight into Egypt or the, the visit of the Magi. Um, just because Luke doesn't include them doesn't mean they didn't happen. It's just Luke uh, considered other things um, uh, that he wanted to write about. Um, but we see that Jesus is brought up to Nazareth, and we remember that out of Nazareth I have called my son. Um, that 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 Christ is called out of Nazareth. The Son of God has come uh, to be this one who is the life and salvation of the world. And so we're we're blessed in that knowledge and that gift as well. Pastor Danny, with just a couple more minutes, just final thoughts on this to see Jesus. You know, sometimes it's it's maybe easy to skip over the circumcision, the name of Jesus. Jesus is a forty day old baby. I, I mean, what's what's the comfort to see Jesus doing these? just everyday things that any Jewish boy would have done. Remind us of that comfort. Well, we remember that Jesus fulfills the law for us, that, that Jesus fulfills all righteousness for us, that, that Jesus, you know, Jesus, if there was one child that was born in all the history of all creation that didn't need circumcision, that didn't need to be redeemed uh, um, and presented at the temple of God, uh, that didn't need to do any of these actions, it would have been Jesus. But of course, Jesus undergoes all of these things as the fulfillment of all of these things so that he can fulfill all righteousness. He can fulfill the law of Moses for us and that he can draw us into that eighth day of creation that we can look forward to our everlasting life in the name of our blessed Savior. And we can look forward to that continual new creation that we live under, under his resurrection and in our baptism, knowing that we have been drawn to Christ as our eternal Savior and Redeemer. Pastor Jacob so. Dandy is pastor at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Tarabella, California, helping us today with Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 40. Pastor Dandy, thanks for being our guest today. It's been a pleasure. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Luke chapter 2 or any of the gospel according to St. Luke, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>